The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Crank up the music, charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. Managers swapping jackets, Sergio Aguero finally escaping the clutches of Martin Tyler, choosing an anthem for the UEFA Europa Conference League, why this provisional England squad is the most arrogant of all time, and where the hell is the official England tournament suit? Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Right now you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash clichés pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 71 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and with me once again is Charlie Eccleshare. How is your current level of Euros fever, please? You know what, if you'd asked me an hour ago, I would have said not that high, but just literally an hour spent perusing the fixtures, which is, I think, still one of life's great pleasures. Um, I'm now, yeah, I'm now really, really looking forward to it, kind of mapping out those days where there are like three pretty watchable games. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, the incubation period for Euros fever, or indeed World Cup fever, can't really be much longer than, than three weeks, really. Anything before that is it's vacuous. It's 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 not really the same. Um, but good to see you are indeed infected. Alongside you, he's the acceptable voice of football data. It's Duncan Alexander. Are you feeling sufficiently wry for this? Yeah, I'm, I'm sideways glancing <laughs> my way towards the computer. So yeah, excellent. Very good to have you. Really excited about this. This is a uh, an express version of the adjudication panel to round off the 2020-21 season before we get into Euroland. Only one place to start, guys, really. On the on the final day, odd things do tend to happen. We've seen West Brom 5, Manchester United 5 and all that. But nothing as weird, Charlie, as the sight of Marcelo Bielsa and Sammy Lee sort of almost swapping jackets at the end of Leeds versus West Brom. Uh, I, think, I think halfway through it, they realised the folly of it and then just say, no we shouldn't do this this is silly yeah I, I quite liked it I mean I assume from looking at the footage it was it was Sammy Lee who instigated it it's not Bielsa you know a huge Sammy Lee fan and really been influenced by his work but I thought there was something quite sweet about that he obviously was just so kind of enamoured with Bielsa and what he'd just seen from his team I mean there's plenty that's heart-rending about Sammy Lee generally um Duncan I, I f- I'm trying to work out what frequency Roy Keane's voice would get to if you confronted him with the possibility of of opposing managers slash assistant coaches swapping their gilets or training jackets, well, as long as they didn't do it at half time, I think that's the trigger for a lot of these things, isn't it? If you leave it there, at least, <laughs> Sammy, 
Lee and Bielsa left it to uh, to full time at least. But I mean, we are in the kind of age of extended apparel, aren't we? I mean, I'm sure I'm not alone of, you know, scanning the classic shirts website, trying to buy up, you know, leftover Kappa undershirts, which are surprisingly useful in, in modern life. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't own at least two Serie B rain jackets, then essentially what have you been doing with your life? So I could see this becoming more of a trend, really. People are moving beyond just the shirt to, to a more wider range of, uh, of clothing. But I mean, the practicalities of this, Charlie, um, no one's no one's sort of questioned this. I mean, you swap shirts. That's fine. Shirts press very nicely into a frame for you to hang on the wall a big padded jacket it's not going to work what, what are you going to do Sammy Lee hasn't thought this that, through that is going to be more challenging I just think as on just on the Roy Keane thing of, of how angry he gets I do think he should keep people guessing from time to time and when it is like a, you know Roy here a player celebrating a 1-1 draw on Instagram for him to just be like yeah no I'm fine with it I don't, I don't really have an issue just every, yes. just, just to keep yes. people off the scent and so yeah on this one be like no yeah no no problem doesn't really doesn't really bother me you could maybe sort of freeze it in some way you know how like Han Solo looked when he'd been frozen um it was kind of rippled there was contours to it so maybe if you had some sort of I don't know deep deep freeze for for car coats then it freeze could, it Marcelo Bielsa's jacket and only get it out for your firstborns <laughs> is that is that how it yeah. works yeah yeah but going I, don't, I mean I don't know where we stop here I mean physio swapping their latex gloves that would be a nice touch because they're kindred spirits Sammy Lee Marcelo Bielsa I don't know if their philosophies necessarily aligned but physios you go oh, that'd be a great job Good job. You've kept everyone safe. Here's my gloves. Next up, this this broke my heart in an entirely different way, Duncan. Um, this was, well, this was dressed up as Manchester City waving goodbye after 10 years to uh, Sergio Aguero, but really it was all about Martin Tyler finally letting him go. This clip is essentially inaudible, but for that reason, it makes it even worse. Conjured up the most famous version of your name. He's going to do it one more time. It's excruciating, isn't it? It's a very odd scenario where Aguero's kind of looking like he's been spotted at a wedding and he's had to look up and and the echo really kind of takes it away because obviously when it happened in real life in 2012, the, the kind of guttural roar from the crowd is one of the great moments in Premier League history. Um, and that was, yeah, just it didn't really have the same vibe. And he also, Tyler had his back to the, to the players as well. It, it just, it probably sounded like quite a good idea on paper, but turns out less so. So. Of all the times, Charlie, for the for the um, audio technology to fail him, it would have to be this. I felt so bad for him because Tyler's so obviously a nice guy. We've covered this so often. He's 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 unimpeachable as a human being, it would seem, and yet still finds himself getting into these situations in an increasingly yeah. There are a number of things. With this one, I mean, Tyler did reference it a few weeks before. I can't remember which city game it was, uh, and I think you know that probably prompted you know, a bit of a backlash. There's also. Aguero looks baffled throughout. And I do genuinely wonder, given his sort of slightly diffident personality, how across Aguero he really is. As, as ridiculous as that sounds, I can sort of imagine him just being like, oh, yeah, no, I do. I do vaguely remember that being a thing. <laughs> yes. like, oh, that makes it worse. 
that breaks your heart even more. I mean, but for those who consume Sky Sports and all of that, for us, it's massive. For him, it's probably more about the fact that he scored that incredible goal rather than necessarily, um, you know, what what was said about it. And also, like, as anyone who's ever been to a football match knows, there is nothing worse and more inaudible than when they get like a and here we have the you know he was a member of the 94 95 squad it's insert name of random player and then they'll have an interview no one can hear it kind of reminded me a bit of that it just it just never works yeah. um so yeah it's like, nice sweet idea but just felt bad for everyone involved oh God. We are- didn't didn't he also present his commentators notes to aguero as well which seems to be a bit of an arms race with the commentators at the moment yeah um, that's true you know, Clive Tilsey, another very nice man, has, has been doing it quite a bit. And you, you wonder where it will end, where, you know, because a lot of modern commentators or maybe you know younger commentators now don't really use written notes. They'll have, will they be kind of, you know, given an old iPad with the notes out <laughs> locked on? Just the file. <laughs> Just a bit concerned that we're headed for like a, you know, a crown court battle between Tildesley and Tyler about who has the intellectual rights to be doing this sort of thing. Um, Tyler was doing it purely out of benevolence, wasn't doing it for profit. So that's that's an important distinction. Um, finally, on, a, on Aguero, Duncan, uh, Charlie mentioned how sort of bewildered Aguero looked at that moment. Um, but I feel like that he's made a trade out of that. He spent a decade in the Premier League, looking sort of slightly bewildered by everything going on around him. And, I, and I'm starting to, oh, I suspected a long time ago, he's totally in on it. He has he has nailed a very rare art of becoming a, essentially a footballing superstar, a, a Premier League legend. He'll be in the Hall of Fame one day, but without without engaging in any of the nonsense whatsoever. That's quite admirable. Yeah, when he first signed for City and obviously came on on his debut and scored two goals and looked every inch the kind of you know Argentinian superstar, I mean, mm. I think I wasn't alone thinking, well, he's clearly very, very good at football, but I imagine he'll have a transfer request in within six months to head back to Spain. But <laughs> he just kind of settled into life really easily and apparently you know that as we saw in the the all or nothing documentary just had led a fairly quiet life and seemed Mm -hmm. to enjoy himself I mean doing 10 years at City is incredible really if you think about it and um yeah he is a very unshowy kind of international superstar you wonder how he'll kind of fit in at Barcelona whether he'll be just you know kind of hiding going oh it's too much you're not you're you're not you're not buying into this that there's any cynicism here I think there is I think every time I mean the trademark for Aguero especially this kind of near post minimal backcliff finish but my trademark that, that I will take home for Aguero is just him looking around going what is this nonsense? I'm not getting involved. I'm going to pretend not to understand what you're saying. And I, I'm just, I just don't want any part of your Premier League pantomime. And I think it's very knowing and very... I think it's like how Potch um, kept the translator for longer than he needed to at Southampton. It was like, I really, really can't be asked to have to engage with it. It clearly but- works. It clearly works as a kind of buffer between you and... Not criticism, but any real scrutiny. I think that but really helps. I think helps. Aguero, I mean, Duncan um, mentioned it there, the all yeah. or nothing. I mean, that was in such a sanitised programme. It, it was unwittingly one of the highlights was seeing him at this kind of bare house. Um, there was like nothing in there. And it was like, is, is he OK? It was kind of like, <laughs> like, is this a sort of a bit of a cry for help that the producers haven't really picked up on that is actually quite funny? <laughs> Fair play to him for spending pretty much 10 years not settling in yeah. England. That, that's that's actually genuinely the, the most tantric uh, example of someone not settling yeah, in the country. Yeah, he looks like nice so, people. Uh, when you move to a yeah. house, you're like, mm, I can't really be bothered to sort of move stuff, but I won't be here for that long. I just <laughs> never got round to it. Well, I did, I did, I did three years in a sparsely furnished house in Manchester. I don't think I could have done 10. So yeah, hats <laughs> off. Yeah, that, that seems to be the limit. Um, we're staying in South America now, um, surprisingly enough. Ben Brereton, Charlie. 
Blackburn Rovers Ben Brereton has been called up by Chile. My first instinct is to search the internet to see if there is a Blackburn Rovers underscore CL Twitter account. And I mean, assume that I assume that one would already exist, let alone before this development. And the answer is sort of. There is a Rovers underscore ES, which has been commandeered for Chilean purposes. And um, and, and it's so weird when you scroll down these things, it's sort of um, giving you updates on, um, let's say, for example, Jordan Rhodes <laughs> or um, Joe Rothwell's contract situation in Spanish. Um, but I mean, I don't want to get carried away with this because, I mean, it's not that much of a novelty. His, his mother's Chilean. Um, this is perfectly explicable. Isn't it? Yeah, you're right, though. There is something very funny about thinking that other countries sort of care about these sorts of things in the way that we do. Because, yeah, obviously, we're so used to seeing the English versions of various far-flung teams. So, yeah, these... <laughs> Manuel L. bloody Munia. You're not getting <laughs> yeah. the England squad. It's not going to happen. But, yeah, I challenge you to look at a tweet that says, like, Sitter Manuel and Avola de Charlie Mulgrew, uh, and not think that's, that's quite, <laughs> that's that's quite funny, isn't it? Um, but yeah, well, well done to him. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I always, I always, I always um, yeah, I, I always think there's something quite novel about this, about these sorts of players uh, who you really wouldn't expect to be playing for, for these kind of nations. Duncan, it, it is a surprising development for us all to enjoy briefly. Um, but I think it might be something of a plot twist in this guy's life because we're talking about a gently stagnating championship career, I'm going out on a limb to say. And for all the sophistication of scouting in 2021... I still think it feels perfectly plausible that he scores, say, twice at the Copa America and gets a move to Sampdoria. Such is the illusion of international football and major tournaments to just amplify this sort of thing. I think I think this is it. He's on his way. Yeah, I mean, the amount of research that goes into scouting and recruitment these days is extraordinary. Yet, if you do score two goals on the telly, a lot of managers will be <laughs> yes. like, well, that, that'll do for yeah. me. We also forget with this, um, with this instance that, you know, to us... Black, a Blackburn player playing for Chile sounds exotic, but for them it sounds the same the other way. You know, they, they, you know, Blackburn won the league in '95. They probably think, "Wow, this is, this is pretty big." And um, I had a quick look at the Lancashire Telegraph, and the comments were were mixed. You know, there were some people saying it's a disgrace because Ben Brereton himself said, "Oh, this will be the first time I've been to Chile since I was one," which I suspect he doesn't remember going there. But he also said his mum and his granddad—that's the Chilean side of his family were in tears and it was this incredible event. But so there's some quite churlish responses underneath saying, well, he clearly doesn't, you know, you should only play international football if you care about the country, which I think is a bit of a bit of a curmudgeonly thing to say. I'm, I'm not sure why he hasn't been back to Chile in those intervening 21 years. I mean, why not go back? Seems like a lovely place. Do it. Uh, next up, I've been waiting for this story a long time. Um, Duncan, the UEFA Europa Conference League has finally been unveiled in almost all its glory. Um, the the trophy very much at the centerpiece of this. It it is a surprisingly nice trophy uh, and comes with the uh, mandatory information. Uh, UEFA confirmed that it stands fifty seven point five centimeters tall and weighs <laughs> eleven kilos. Why do we need to know this? Is anyone trophies? has any frame of reference? Well, did you know that the trophy weighs eighteen percent as much as Billy Gilman? <laughs> I think that's how we should judge things. The fifty seven point five centimeters and eleven kilos means nothing. You need that sort of context. It looks like you know how in like superhero stuff they reboot characters basically by upgrading their suit. It looks like they've done that to the UEFA Cup, um, which is interesting because obviously. This is now the the competition underneath the Europa League. Yeah. So, if if you were purely judging a club on its trophy room and aesthetics, you'd probably want to win this more than the Europa League. I'd say it is a nice trophy. I mean, the branding. Um, what I was surprised by. I mean, I I 
assumed that the Conference League was a kind of real third-tier situation, and it is officially. But this is very much a sister competition to the Europa League, like a younger sister is essentially the, the way they're promoting it. The trophy, Charlie, is genuinely quite nice, although producer Phil says it looks like a bin, which is true, it does look like a bin, uh, which raises the question, would you be able to drink from it? It, it? I haven't seen it from all the angles. I'm not sure if the hollow aspect of it goes all the way through. Oh, yeah. Is this important? Because you can't yeah, wear it as a hat, true. definitely. They should have done sort of artist impressions like they've done with some other aspects of the tournament. Yeah, it consists of 32 hexagonal spines twisting and curving from the trophy base to denote the 32 competing teams. Always has to denote something. Stop denoting. Just make a nice trophy. It doesn't matter. We don't need We don't need the connection. It doesn't need to be that literal. It's fine. But they have done a good job. Um, Alexander Seferin proudly posing with it in a photo. So he's happy. He's certainly happy. But um, delving lower down the marketing gump for the UEFA Europa Conference League, UEFA snuck this in at the bottom. He says the trophy was designed by Pentagram and the brand identity was designed by Turquoise. Both agencies are London-based. I don't know why they had, again, I don't know why they had to clarify that. Uh, they employ 700 people and uh, their building weighs um, 22 kilotons. <laughs> um, but the... The branding exercise, Duncan, is surprisingly free of, of sort of impenetrable marketing speak. It's, it's quite clean. And the, the whole thing does look quite nice. It's kind of like a sort of nuclear green version of the Europa League. Um, but in amongst all of this, they, they present lots of images of the branding and how, let's say, the score lines will look and all the graphics and things like that. But for some bizarre reason, and I'm not unhappy that they've done this, they produced artist impressions of what the studio situation would be like, complete with presenters and pundits, CGI pundits. I've never seen this before. I've never seen this. I don't know what to make of it. No, and it's confusing because anyone who's done any kind of, you know, live TV will know that there's always a dress code, um, particularly for live broadcast. And what they've done here is one of the pundits is in a sort of suit and tie dress code, and the other one is in a sort of, you know, more casual one. But he hasn't even got the the, the classic black trainer shoes that we all know pundits, you know, given at qualification. He's got some some brown ones, so that looks a little bit odd. But yeah, generally. You know, it's a packed stadium, so we can ask for at that stage of the competition. So um... the po- I agree with you that the standard issue shoes um, seem to be missing, but the poses are actually very, very accurate. They're trying too yeah. hard, aren't they? To be yeah, yeah, but I quite like. I think there's something quite realistic about the one who looks a bit like Dave Jones in the middle. I'm not. Act- I, I, I don't think that is him, but it, it looks like a sort of facsimile of him. He looks. He looks like a sort of uh, quite experienced former Scottish first division <laughs> manager who's quite angry about an incident in the first half and is not accepting of the other pundits. Uh, you know, more understanding viewpoint. But maybe the change, the, the sort of different dress codes. That's very much the Conference League's vibe. That it's a bit of a melting pot. Maybe that would be its USP. Yeah, casual, yeah exactly. Um, actually, I mean, I mean, quite interesting because I mean. Even as straight-laced as UEFA are, Duncan, I wonder if they have cottoned on to the fact that the Europa League has become slightly post-ironic. I mean, whenever Arsenal fans get involved, anything is always going to pass beyond the realms of seriousness. But I do wonder if they've tapped into the fact that people are enjoying the Europa League in its own weird kind of way. And the Conference League really needs to kind of feed off that. It's, It's not going to be a serious thing. A deadly serious thing, at least. No, I think you see it in a lot of sports now. You have the, the really big events, that the ones that everyone enjoys, and then you get further down, the more hipster it gets. And it's almost like, you know, you can get to a point where it's kind of so incredibly niche that, you know, just by saying you've even watched a game, you're, conv- you know, get this kudos. So, yeah, I mean, it will be interesting. I mean, the prize, obviously, if you win it, is to get into the Europa League. So maybe you can, 
you know, what I want is a team to win the Conference League, then the following season win the Europa League, and then the following season win the Champions League. I mean, that is the kind of step ladder of glory, isn't that? To be honest, who's who are doing that? Sevilla. I mean, I mean, I want them to go into the Conference League just for that reason. But there will there will definitely be a kind of you know sort of backlash, counter backlash of like, am I the only one who actually thinks it's quite a good tournament? No, that that will happen <laughs> very quickly. That's going to happen really, really quickly. Probably before it even starts. Yeah, and there'll be the kind of like, yeah, yeah I think yeah. it's good that the Lithuanian third best team gets to to play in Europe. Like, take you know your Premier League centric view. Yeah, you might look down on it, but it's actually a really good competition. <laughs> It's like you're reading this verbatim from somewhere. I'm sure you are. But yeah, but there's also the flip side to that is that we are incredibly too churlish in this country. You know, like we clubs spend seasons trying to finish seventh to get into the Europa League. And then the manager spends the entire summer bemoaning the fact they've got a qualifier on July the 30th. It would be bemoaning as well. That's good usage. Good usage. and, And it's just, you know, for a fact that whoever the new Tottenham boss is, He's going to have some. He's going to have some thoughts about uh, this competition. Yeah, and ah, it's not ideal, but you know, poor old Graham Potter. Oh well, you know, you want the big job. You got to deal with um, third tier European competitions. As much as we have bigged up their branding, Charlie, they have bottled one thing. They haven't given it its own anthem. It's going to share the Europa League's anthem. That feels yeah, lazy. That's so to disappointing, me. especially as again the Europa League anthem has built up this sort of following in a kind of ironic way. Yeah, that, that is a that is a real oversight. It'll be like when I went to see England Liechtenstein at Old Trafford, and Liechtenstein mm. have the same national anthem as, oh, as us. Oh yes, but without and they started playing it, and I was surrounded by people who were very, very ready to put the opposition's national anthem as was the style. And then it started and there was just this incredible confusion of like, what? And then some people just started going, save me, what? And it was, it was perfect. That, that, that is the perfect equivalent, yes. Um, and given what we all know about how these anthems are put together and the, and the sentiment they're supposed to convey, which is pretty much nothing, actually, Duncan, um, I was trying to think of a, of a good kind of piece of music that could sub in if they needed it and I the first thought that came to my mind was Carl Jenkins faux Latin airline advert classic Adiemus Airlines. You love the way we fly. <laughs> I, I got into a real rabbit hole with this, um, Duncan. Um, uh, in accordance with UEFA policy, the lyrics of this song have absolutely no meaning. They are used as an instrument to make music and not to convey any message, uh, which is the embodiment of a UEFA anthem. But this song has its own long read. Uh, you'll be delighted to know, like a proper 3,000 word long read, An Aural History of Adi Amos by Carl Jenkins. And um, it has an entire 500 word section which dedicates itself to exploring why lots of people in the 1990s thought it was an Enya song and not by Carl Jenkins. So, yeah, I mean, this, is, this has earned its place in the pantheon, I think. This, this is worthy of this competition. It's an amazing show. I mean, you could just, I mean, if you're a player, particularly for, say, a smaller team in an in a obscure European country, and you hear that playing, I mean, you are going to... I mean, it's like having an energy gel or 10, but a minute before the game. (laughs) Yeah, Charlie, the lyrics don't have to mean anything, do they? Because the UEFA Conference League, as it stands, has no no sentiment to convey, really. It's it's all being created as we go. Yeah, no, that song is so perfect. I could could just 
see the sort of background images and then at the end the sort of trophy appearing um, as it fades into that hypothetical studio that we've been shown with the sort of three virtual pundits. A pure moods classic from 1994, that one. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. The other big announcement this week was the provisional England squad for Euro 2020, Charlie. A 33-man squad, not a number we are familiar with when it comes to England squads. Um, but other than that, other than that, uh, some disappointment um, generally, no big shocks, but also not a single feared wind-up. The arrogance of this generation, who just all just, they weren't remotely surprised by being called up. The nearest we got was Brighton defender Ben White, who said it was a total surprise. I was not expecting it at all. I was looking forward to watching the Euros this summer, but now have a chance to be part of it all. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, that might wind Roy Keane up. You know, the, as you say, the, the, the entitlement of these guys, that they, that mm. they, they didn't think it was some sort of prank maybe it's done by like really like an encrypted channel <laughs> these days and it's just, there's no potential yeah it does it does feel like that doesn't it that that you know even the the possibility of a wind up uh, is gone because football is so sort of serious uh and po-faced i mean we we were talking as well earlier about this sort of different pundits and that sort of thing on the different channels i you know i feel like that should have been used for their marketing speak of like i thought being called up to itv was a wind up uh, that would, that that would be, be I think that would be quite meta be quite and, and take those sort of platitudes you get on the press release to another level. Um, it's amazing how cruel this um, this activity can get, Duncan. Um, Danny Taylor and Ollie Kay had a piece um, on The Athletic yesterday about what it's like to be on standby and what, what it's like to be one of the fringe players waiting to be told you may or may not be in the squad. And uh, Raymond Domenech's France squad, um, he instructed them all to go and sit in their hotel rooms and wait for him to knock to tell them the good or bad news. But before he could do that, Samir Nasri would go and knock on their doors, pretending to be him. That's that's about as cruel as it gets. Who would do that? That is incredibly cruel. Um, yeah, I mean, it's such a weird thing, the standby list. And I guess England have sort of semi-circumvented that this week by just saying, it's going to be 33, and then we'll, we'll cut it down. But the thing with standby players is you never remember them. You never, ever remember them. I looked up loads, and um, who remembers that Lewis Cook was on standby for England for the last World Cup? Not Maybe not even Lewis Cook. Um, you know, Jason Wilcox in 96. Danny Drinkwater was on standby for Euro 2016, didn't make it. So, I mean, you might as well not be on that list because no one will ever remember you were on it. So. Wow, was Trevor Sinclair, was he initially on a standby list and then got promoted after an injury in 2002? Oh, it was a huge, huge saga. He went, he went to South Korea as the 24th man of a 23-man squad and felt very uncomfortable, asked Sven to go home so he could train at West Ham on his own just to be out the way. And then as he was boarding his connecting flight, Danny Murphy got injured. <laughs> he had to come back again. Um, there's nothing more fringy than that. That's about as fringy as, it's get, as it gets. Fabulously exciting. The, the Euro 2012 England squad sounds like the, the kind of ins and outs. It ends up sounding like a bar brawl as well because it was like John Ruddy got ruled out with a broken finger. <laughs> so Jack Butlin got caught out. Gareth Barry did his groin. Phil Jagielka <laughs> came in. Frank Lampard, uh, thigh injury replaced by Jordan Henderson. And then Gary Cahill had a double fracture of his jaw. And Martin oh. Kelly was caught out. Martin Kelly got the number five shirt as a replacement. I was going to suggest Martin Kelly as one of the... the um, 
he would be the pointless answer for, for an England squad. See also Steve Howie at Euro 96, which I, just doesn't yeah. compute with me at all. Stephen Warnock at World Cup 2010. Well, Warnock um, was only, wasn't it because uh, Leighton Baines didn't want to go? He decided just don't really fancy it. And so they were like, Warnock was like, I'll go. It was the Jabalani, I reckon that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to cross that, mate. The other thing that's strange about the Euro 96 squad was that, do you remember Rio Ferdinand got invited along, not in the squad, just as a kind of work experience. But, but then he never played in a Euros game in his entire career, only played in World Cups. There was this weird kind of, it's like he Didn't make he a good impression in Euro 96. I mean, yeah, I did. I once did work experience at the TV Times. And there, I never worked there again. So it's exactly the same principle. It's exactly the same. That principle. seems crazy. You seem made for the TV. Times. I know. I know. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know. It's political. The ability to communicate briefly about what's on television. I know. Um, anyway, moving on. Obviously, when it comes to England squads, I mean, there are here's the usual chat, Duncan, about who's in, who's out amongst the bigger names. We don't really have that drama this year. Um, the, the big names are in. That's fairly clear. But there is this kind of slight over obsession, which, which as always, I wonder if. Ha- if this happens with other countries, about versatility. This, this idea that you've got to have this player who does loads and loads of things because, you know, you never know what, when you're going to need him. He might be able to fill in here, he might be able to fill in there. Is there really a precedent for a player like this saving England at a major tournament? Convinced there is? Yeah, I had to think. I think the, probably the closest you can get is maybe David Platt in 1990 because he was, he could sort of play midfield, could play up front, you know, wasn't in the team to start with. But, I mean, it's not a great shout, is it? Let's be honest. So... Yeah, this this idea, I mean, particularly now with 26-man squads, you can be incredibly specialist because you've got 26 players, which is like more than most you know Premier League teams will use in a season. It's, even if you win the tournament, you're only going to be playing seven games. So I don't really, you know, I think in England we're kind of obsessed with with players that can do... I think Paul Warhurst started it. I mean, you know, anyone who was a kid in the 90s remembers this idea that a man could go from, you know, <laughs> defender to a centre-forward who who was good and yeah. then just go into central midfield and become a kind of, like, box-to-box, dogged midfielder. That that baffled and, uh, you know, enchanted people for years. So I think that kind of haunts the nation, really. There's precedent for a utility player knocking England out of a tournament because Phil Neville went to year 2000 <laughs> and he, he then gave away yeah. that penalty, didn't he? So it's like... Yeah, they're more trouble than they're worth. It's always fullbacks, isn't it? I mean, for, when people say versatility, what they really mean is someone who can play on the right or left of a defence. That's basically what it comes down to. Feeling as a defensive midfielder, despite having never actually played there in their career, but it's like, but yeah, they, it sort of makes this sense. implication that fullbacks could just play in defensive midfield because oh, it looks quite easy. I mean, Makaleli made it look very simple. It can't be that hard at all. Really, actually, it doesn't annoy me because it's the sort of opinion I would definitely use. But um, but yeah, this is it's the sort of logic that comes into it. I trust an England manager to pick the best 26 players in the country uh, quite frankly but there are more pressing matters when it comes to the England squad Duncan there is no sign whatsoever Mm. that there is an official England suit this year I know first we lost the songs and then we we lost the suits and it's a we're you know we're losing our heritage bit by bit I mean there's actually there's a good bit in Peter Hook's book about New Order about when uh, the England players came to record their bits for World in Motion and they were expecting the loads to turn up. I think it was only like four or five in the end. Beersy, McMahon, Gazza, Barnes and someone else. And they rushed through it because they had to leave the studio in London to go to Middlesbrough to open a top man. And I think that nothing sums up old England better than rushing through World in Motion so you can go and open a top man in Middlesbrough. But I can't imagine that's going to happen at any point this summer. Having delved into this story a little bit more, Charlie, it turns out the England suit has simply been cancelled in the most modern sense because the 2018 World Cup suit 
which was which was trumpeted as this kind of patriotic thing where the pure merino wool was woven at the Alfred Brown Mill in Yorkshire. It turned out the suit was made in Cambodia. And a really, really stuffy Telegraph article from, from that time says the following. What the high street retailer Marks & Spencer's neglected to mention was that the material for the jacket, waistcoat and trousers was then shipped to Cambodia and made into suits before being sent back to the UK for general sale. A distance of almost 13,000 miles. Why is that relevant? <laughs> what's that, what's that going to do with it? Absolute nonsense. And then it Trevor goes on. Sinclair could tell you about that. <laughs> The, the M&S website does not disclose where the suit is made. Customers might feel a little upset to discover it is made in Cambodia. That's a huge assumption to make, isn't it, Charlie? P- probably enough to get the whole thing cancelled. M&S, um, M&S tried to style it out by, and I quote, repeatedly refusing to say where the suit was made. No, I'm going to tell you. Even though it's it's in the label. Just read the label. Um, uh, but yeah, it turns out the suit has been cancelled and there is no suit this year. And I can only assume that that is the reason. What a 2021 reason. I want I want to leave you with this. Um, we, 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 we may delve into this as the tournament progresses, Duncan. But um, tis the season for awkward European Championship marketing behaviour. And uh, Walker's Crisps always always up for a bit of this. And they've introduced their new range of crisps for the tournament. Uh, the flavours are as follows. Sour cream and sweet chilli kicker. The connection there isn't obvious. There's no pun there. There's hot shot hot dog flavour. Uh, chicken tackle masala. This this is this is this is marketing in the 2020s. Um, no different to marketing in the 1990s. It, it would. Seem. I was going to say this is the salt and linacre. Uh, salt and linacre's back. Salt and linacre is back. Yeah, but the reason salt and linacre and cheese and onion work is because you're using actual player names. Mm. You can't just pick a. a a sort of random bit of football and apply yeah. that to some Chris doesn't work I don't think I've still got one more for you and it's steak and ale penalty I mean penalty shootout would be a little more sort of tournament specific wouldn't it steak and ale penalty I'm in the wrong job I am in the wrong job Pinenka would be ah, that's really good that's yeah well. but you get people not buying it because they because they think you should just <laughs> smash the penalty into the top corner yeah, they would we would buy it out principle it would be the Liechtenstein national anthem situation all over again no doubt but I'm I'm comforted to find out Charlie that this does come with some marketing speak a Walker spokesperson said it's inspired by iconic match day meals our new and unique flavours of hot dog sour cream and chilli steak and ale pie and chicken tikka masala are the perfect snack to cheer on your team to glory those words don't even make sense a snack to cheer on your team to glory I don't need a snack to cheer I mean I know I'm being I know I'm being you know pointlessly pedantic here but it's so half-hearted all the time. I mean, the only thing worse than this is those radio ads you get um, during a major tournament because everyone's always obviously doing their kind of football tenuous tie-ins and it's, you know, they're kind of like, mum passes to dad, dad passes to mum, and it's a goal. Tomato ketchup is the official sponsor of Euro 2021. And the, I mean, <laughs> that is if, yeah, that, that, I, th- I think that's, that's, that's the worst kind of ad um, encroachment into football. I agree. Hand all pre-tournament marketing campaigns over to world-weary, cynical people <laughs> and see what happens. I, I swear they would—you'd get really good results. It doesn't have to be enthusiastic. It has to be. It could be. Why are? Where are the pessimistic football fans? Where are the? Where are the football fans who just hate everything in marketing? I don't understand. Um, but we're going to see a lot more of this. I look forward to bringing you more of this mid-tournament marketing nonsense. Uh, 
as the weeks go on. Thanks very much to you both. Thanks, Duncan, for joining us. Thank you. Uh, a long way to debut. I can't believe we waited 71 episodes to have you on. What a shame. Don't leave another 71. Yeah, you, you were sufficiently right. I'll, pen- or I'll pencil in show 142. <laughs> Look at that grasp of yeah. the map. It's like Rio Ferdinand at Euro 96. You were just never, you're never quite destined. But you're here now. That's the main thing. And thank you. Charlie, thank you as always. Um, have a good, have a good Euros. Uh, maybe actually, I've just realised that the um, the Europa Conference League trophy is fifty-seven point five centimetres tall and weighs eleven kilos. That must be the same size as your child now, almost exactly. Yeah, that would be a good way of measuring it. Actually, then then I really could yeah, understand sort of how heavy. Yeah, if they were like this is an eight-month baby or a ten-month baby or something, that that would give that that would sort of give a sense of how exactly. comfortably I could hold that trophy a lot. On that note, thanks for everybody. We'll see you next week. Enjoy. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and I'm here to tell you what The Athletic has planned across its podcast network during the Euros. My pod with David Ornstein will become The Athletic's England show throughout the tournament to bring you all the latest news and insight from inside the England camp every single day. Then we'll also have nightly editions of the Totally Football Show, taking a look at all the big talking points from the competition and looking ahead the next day's fixtures. Now, if you're feeling nostalgic for tournaments past, we've produced an eight-part documentary series that tells some fascinating stories from both on and off the pitch from the last eight Euros. Elsewhere, Michael Cox's Zonal Marking Pod will offer an in-depth tactical breakdown of all the biggest games, while Adam Hurry's Football Cliché Show will take a look at the tournament's alternative storylines. So, as this never ending domestic season finally draws to a close we'll have plenty of euro 2020 coverage for you to enjoy as the tournament gets underway in just a couple of weeks time the athletic